Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. The Magic Five, custom fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com Bruce Gemmel, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you. Glad to be here, Brett. Uh, thanks for doing this. Um, you know, we, we did Eddie Reese in person, and it was a fantastic experience for me. And uh, we put it out, and, and you were one of the people that commented how, how great it was. What did you take from the Eddie podcast? You know, it was the best 90 minutes, I think it was, education of the last five years I've had probably. And just listening to Eddie be thoughtful, as obviously is. And, and you, I thought you were very patient with him, letting him go where he wanted to go, which you probably didn't have any choice in. He was going to go where he wanted to go anyway. But, um, and I think at the end, if you listen to Eddie and you listen to some of our veteran coaches out there, you hear and you learn about people and how they treat people and the relationships, and you realize that that's really the foundation of everything you do. And that's an interesting point because, look, everyone knows Eddie Reese. He's one of the most respected coaches in the world, but but so are you. Everybody knows who Bruce Gamble is, and, and you've been in this game a long time as well, and, and you've had a lot of success. You're uh, the leader of one of the biggest clubs in the world, really. So um, what is it about you that makes you so special, you think? And, be honest with yourself. Um, I've been fortunate to learn from, work with, be around um, the Eddie Reese's, the John Urbanchek's, uh, the Jack Roaches of the world. And what you learn from them, you don't learn from a textbook. Mm -hmm. um, every, everything is out there now. The, the sets are out there on the internet. The energy systems are out there on the internet. The, the time standards are out the internet, but if you if you spend time with those people and learn how they treat the sport, how they treat people, it really helps you stay grounded in, in what we do day to day with, with the athletes. And we were talking about this off camera a little bit in terms of 
coaches' development these days. You know, the best the best coaching experience I had was being on a pool deck with David Marsh, with, with Richard Quick, with with people that um, had an immense amount of experience that just forced me and and um both those coaches that i just mentioned there would always put me in a position to be to be thinking they weren't they wouldn't just give me the answer they would they would always um put me in a position to think and and i felt like that was the best education i ever got was being forced by somebody that i respected who had an immense amount of experience who forced me to think on the spot and is that how you felt your experience has gone you know not only do they force you to think but they give you a tremendous amount of autonomy mm -hmm. without authority mm -hmm. I, I remember going to some training camps with john up at the olympic training center in colorado springs and and he was there with our, our elite athletes the best of the best the olympians and i was just there as a as a club coach and he would say here take this group and go over there and 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 figure out or work with them today or something. And, and I, without dropping the names, but they were the best of the best swimmers. And, and he'd say, here, take them for three days. Or he'd say, hey, why don't you write practice for tomorrow? Right. And um, just, just, I guess, feeling that responsibility and feeling the trust that they gave you was, was a lot of growth takes place there. You're in charge of a massive team now. It, it, it's huge. We were just talking about this in terms of, the amount of swimmers uh, NCAP has, I think it's 1,800, you said. And how many coaches work for NCAP? Okay, well, first of all, I'm not in charge. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there is, uh, we, do, we do have a club owner, and uh, Tom Ugast is owner. And while he's in charge, there are a lot of people that are in charge. Right. Um, there, there's an admin staff that just does an awesome job. Okay. I know a lot of coaches struggle with the admin responsibilities that they have. Well, the way we're, we're set up, they're very – Little admin responsibilities fall on the. We have head site coaches, so very little responsibility falls on them. And then each head site coach, uh, myself, Jeremy Lynn, Tim Kelly, Pete Morgan, Jeff King, um, the ones that I've forgotten, I'm sorry, um, you know, are responsible for their own little niche of, of the club. And, and we certainly work together and we, we work with resources together, we work with ideas together. Um, as somebody said, when, when we have a, a coaches meeting, it's like you know, a little educational seminar in itself. Mm. And we are allowed to do things differently, which is, I think, really good for the club. Um, there are things that, that um, somebody like Jeff King might do very different than I do. And everybody has a different pool situation. We're at different sites scattered without the um, D.C. metro area. Some of us have good pool situations with lots of access. Some of us have extremely limited pool situations. Uh, some of us have a uh, talent-rich population, and some of us have more challenges in that area. Some of us have affluent swimmers and families, and some of us work with, with less so. So we really need to solve our own problems within our little, little niche of the entire club, and then we, we come together and and do some pretty good things when we're able to. Did I break up? Yeah. <laughs> I assume we're going to edit that out. No, you probably leave it in. <laughs> leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> well, well, tell me that I don't understand it as as well as you do. Then, so what 
what is your particular role? Are, are you in charge of the hiring and firing of coaches? I, I am in charge of, we call it our, our Georgetown prep site, which is the main pool that we used to use. It's a little bit of a misnomer because we use a different pool now, but we've kept the name. Uh, we have about 200 athletes there, uh, five, six, seven coaches, depending upon on any given year. And I am responsible for that almost like it's my own individual club. Okay. And Jeremy Lynn has a, another site that he's responsible for. We call it uh, NCAP West because he's out west of the city. And um, he has, this, I don't know how many numbers, what his exact numbers are. I think they're a little more than we have. And he has that population. And, and every, every site, uh, for the most part, has a, a 10 and under program, an age group program, and an and a elite senior training group. And each one's run a little bit differently, but certainly with uh, very much shared philosophies on, on what we're trying to get done. Okay, that's interesting. So talk to me about the, the shared philosophies, because I understand that they're very different coaches and, and probably, um, you know, want to create their own team environment. But how do you stay within the same philosophy? Well, I, I think that um, probably two or two or three fundamental things stick with all the, all the programs. Uh, one, we are invested in high-performance athletes at the top end of the sport, at the, the high school age athlete. Uh, two, we want to raise really good uh, student athletes. And I, I think we are very uh, forthcoming with that philosophy at all of our sites. You know, we, we don't um, I don't want to say we don't want bad eggs, but, um, you know, the, the student athlete is important to us. I think if you look at the colleges and the successes that so many of our athletes go on to, you'll see that's important. Uh, and, and we want them in the sport for the, the long haul. And um, many of them start with us at seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And none of us are interested in producing elite level 10 year old swimmers. Do we get some elite 10 year old swimmers? Of course we do, but that's not what's, what's driving our development. You can always get fast 10 year olds by having them swim a lot. And I think we all operate on a philosophy that um, participation at the early levels should be shared with other sports and other activities and other mm -hmm. experimentation in life. And we don't tell them that they can't play soccer or that they need to give up gymnastics or that they can't go on vacation because um, we want them to to grow into the sport through certainly through their high school years. And then if they choose to continue to swim at the collegiate level, which so many of them do, we want them to be successful then too. That's fairly uh, rare, I would say, in terms of where we are as a society these days. Everybody wants their kids to specialize younger, wants to push them faster. I mean, when when you come to practice and and in the past – you see Katie Ledecky swimming in the pool. Parents say, well, I want my kid to be that person now real quick. So how do you then keep all the coaches on the same track? You know, there's not a lot of disagreement among the coaches on that philosophy. Yeah, okay. that, that one is pretty broadly and uniformly shared. Uh, do we get some disagreement with that philosophy, philosophy from the parent mm -hmm. side of the equation? Yeah. Frequently, uh, I certainly have lost swimmers over the years when either they moved into the area or they were with another club in the area, and they said, "My my ten year old is doing seven practices a week, and they're doing forty thousand yards a week." And I say, "Well, we don't offer that here." And they, well, 
what do you mean? And I said, well, our 10-year-olds go four days a week, and that's the most we offer them. And um, some parents have made the decision that it was to turn around and walk out the door and, and go someplace where they – you know, we're going to be able to, to swim more at the 10 and under 11, 12 level. So they're not going to leave you and then walk over to Jeremy and say, Jeremy, like, I want to do six workouts a week with you. You know, Bruce is only offering me four. I know you're the same team, but but Jeremy's going to back you up. then. Yeah, Jer Jeremy's going to back me up, and I don't think he's going to offer him any more than four either. And, and that's pretty much across the across the board for, for all the sites. Well, that's, I mean, that's great. It's, uh, it must be difficult to manage. At times, I, would imagine. I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm a little surprised that, that you're finding this a little bit difficult because all of our coaches, certainly all of our, our senior level coaches have been on that page and there's never really a lot of a lot of discussion about it. What about in terms of what you do in the pool then? All right. The the, the how kind of is, is agreed upon, but, but what are you doing? You know, obviously you've got your philosophies on how to build a swimmer to, to be great, you know? Um, and I don't know, is that just a shared agreement or are you guys doing completely different things at different sites? Uh, we could be doing completely different things at different sites. Um, certainly at times we do, or maybe at some sites we do. Um, most of the time or many times it is dictated by what your facility what you have available. We we don't own any of our any of our pools. We have one and a half maybe that we have standard use of. So so many of us are are limited or it's dictated a little bit by what we have have available to us. Well, tell me this then. So what is what's development then? Let's go into the development side of of just a, a regular young boy, young girl comes in as a ten year old and and goes through the program to college. What, what would that look like, that progression? You know, I think the development is, is based on the foundations of uh, you're going to do all the events. Okay. You're going to do all the strokes. Okay. You're going you're gonna to swim IMs. Uh -huh. um, certainly, sometimes people walk in the door and say, the parents say, they're a breaststroker. And I say, they may be really good at breaststroke now, but I'm not going to treat them like a breaststroker. I'm going to treat them like an IMer. You know, I'm going to treat them like a middle distance freestyler. And as they develop through the program, there's a time and a place where we may specialize a little bit more. And that's unique for each athlete, certainly. Some upon their um, physiological development, probably a lot upon their physiological development. Some upon their skill set or, or talent set. And, and some as their wants and needs change over the course of their, their swimming. You know, the 11-year-old, the might have one view of swimming and the 17 year old is going to have another view of swimming. And we try and try and meet them on that. Um, personally, and this might break your heart. I'm sorry. I'm not going to invest a lot in a 50 freestyle for, for a 15 year old athlete. Uh, they may want to be a great 50 freestyler. They may love the 53. They may end up being a great 50 freestyler, but a 15 year old athlete, they're going to swim a 200 free and a 200 IM. And they're going to train for a 200 free and a 200 IM. And I don't think that's uncommon. You know, it doesn't break my heart because I came through a program myself like that as, as a young kid. Um, you know, many years ago, I, I wouldn't necessarily do it myself now if I was coaching a 15-year-old. I would incorporate some speed work. But, but oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I, there's still speed work in there. Okay. As I like – and everyone 
I, I don't want to jump ahead subjects on you, but I'm going to jump. And eventually, I'm sure we'll get to talking a little about Katie Ledecky. Yeah. And, oh, she's a great distance from her. Look at her. She's a mile. She's an 800 champion, blah, blah, blah. Um, she also anchored the sprint relay in the 16 Olympic Games for us. She was pretty good at it. And uh, there was some speed work in there, but she did too. And if, and from a distance training base, you better be fast these days. You, you can't be a slow miler anymore. I remember while I was coaching Katie, and even now, some people would always say, oh, look at this next great distance swimmer because they went this time in their 800 free compared to Katie's time at that same age. And frequently my, my reply is or my question is, all right, what's their 100 and 200 free time? And if their 100 free and 200 free time aren't very fast, I said, you're just not fast enough to compete at that level. So there better be some speed training in there with it, but not only. Well, tell me, tell me this then. Why have you chosen the philosophy of, and, and this is just curiosity, uh, and, and I see it a lot. Why, why do a lot of club coaches choose the philosophy of you're going to learn all the strokes and you're going to train middle distance freestyle? Like, why is that the philosophy? Because I don't think you know what they're going to be and, and what they are at age, what they are. It makes them sound like they're an animal and they change into a different animal. Maybe they do. Um, you know, a, a great breaststroker at age 11, I mean, breaststroke is such a finicky thing. If all they do is breaststroke and they lose it because of a growth spurt at age 14, then then what do you do? You're sort of left out and, you know, flapping in the breeze with nothing to do. And you don't know who's going to turn into a flyer and who's going to turn into an IMer. And we've all heard the stories of, of Tom Yeager's first national cut was in the mile and ended up being the world record holder in the 50 free. Um, Connor Yeager went to Michigan as a, 200 butterfly and end up being a pretty good miler and and so you better have some training and fundamentals and, and base and everything so if the opportunity presents itself um, you can take advantage of it yeah look it's it's certainly hard to disagree i mean i've had many athletes come through my college program and and they were trained in in all four strokes like tyler mcgill for instance tyler mcgill came in as a 400 i am at 200 flyer type thing and ended up being um you know, an incredible 100 butterfly long course making the Olympic team. So multiple examples of people like that, for sure. Um, I, I do, for my own, you know, just me personally, um, I pretty much knew I was a sprinter from day one, you know. So I found it very difficult. And, and when I'm reflecting on my own career and progression, I don't know how I made it to where I am without quitting, you know, because it was it was very difficult for me. There were times where I would go and hide in the showers because the work was just so great and, and I, I couldn't swim breaststroke to save my life. But I was in a, a program that, that had the same philosophy. So, I mean, do we lose athletes in that process because we – or is there – or do you just say, look, I can see where you're at, just go over, go to this program. Do you do, you do that? Um, I, I think I'm pretty straightforward on the – 50 free specialist and saying this may not be a place for, for you to, you being under my All right. under my direction I, I hope I am um, I think my band my personal bandwidth has certainly gotten broader over the years you learn more tricks you learn how to incorporate the 100 flyer along with the miler in the same practice right you can offer you can you can juggle more balls at the same time. I think when you're a 
when you're a young coach, I was a young coach once, um, you know, I think you sort of want to shove everybody into the same box because you only have so much bandwidth and you're not confident enough to let some of the other side three-ring circus stuff take place at the same time. But as, as you get older and more experienced and maybe a little bit more capable of, of handling multiple needs in the, in the same program. Right, right. A couple of things I learned today about you. Um, one is that you swam for John Avancheck. Didn't know that until today. That's uh, that's incredible in itself. Um, so I definitely want to talk about that. And then and then I found out you're an engineer for 20 years as well, which is incredible. So um, both amazing. And I don't know if people listening to this may have even known those things. So in terms of the the Abanchek thing, you swam at Michigan. I swam at Michigan. John's first year at Michigan was my senior season. Okay. So I only swam for John for one year. Okay. Um, who was it before then? Uh, before that, it was Gus Steger and Bill Farley. Okay. Um, so John was my coach my senior year. I have thought many times that if I had had John for all four years, I would have got either gotten really, really good mm -hmm. or I would have quit because it was too hard. Right. And I'm honestly not sure which one I would have done, but I think it probably would have been one of the two. <laughs> so I, then I stayed at Michigan and got my master's degree in engineering and coached with John, my, my one and a half and only season in collegiate coaching, and did that for about one and a half years. And I was getting my master's degree, and I went to John, and I said, John, I, I think I want to go into coaching instead of, instead of being an engineer. Well, John lit me up. Don't you dare. Really? Don't you dare. The hours in coaching are too long. Mm. The kids are a pain in the neck. The travel is bad. You go be an engineer. Make a lot of money. Give it all back to Michigan Swimming. <laughs> And, uh, you know, get on with your life. And, and I had such uh, respect for him, even though only having spent about two and a half years with him, that I listened to him. Went and got an engineering job. Uh, did that for a, a long time. Although after not too many years, life stories, life goes on, people. Took my, my son was born. I took my son for swim lessons. And the club coach where I, where I took him, uh, Bob Matson, said, uh, Hey, would you like to coach a couple nights a week? Oh, God. So, you know, sure, a couple nights a week. And two nights a week became four nights a week, became six nights a week. Became me walking into my engineering job and saying, hey, I think I want to quit. And they said, well, would you consider working part-time instead? And I said, I could do part-time. So I did part-time engineering and full-time coaching. And that went on for a few years. And uh, Jack Roach asked me to be a member of one of USA Swimming's junior team trips over to Hawaii for Junior Pan Pax. Mm. And it was the same week or weekend that I had a major work conference going on, and I went work conference in a dark conference room, trip to Hawaii with the national junior team, conference room, Hawaii. I took the trip to Hawaii. I told the people at work I was going. They said, you can't go. This is a major annual conference, blah, 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 blah. And about six weeks later, my, my wife said to me, just quit the engineering thing and go coach full-time. So I quit the engineering thing and go co went and coached full-time. Thank you, Jack Roach, for offering me that spot on staff. <laughs> Who knows what might have happened. Jack Roach is the reason why I started this podcast. He was pushing me into podcasting, and he was, he was my first guest as well. So we have a Jack there Roach connection go. there. Uh, he's a good man. Um, had, 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 uh, had they developed the color system – at uh, at Michigan when you were swimming, or was that later? We didn't call it colors. I think we were John's guinea pig. 
and that was in the mid '80s where he was developing it. Okay. And I, I know John gets all the credit for it, which he he probably should, and that's great. But his wife is the is the physiologist. She's the PhD physiologist. Okay, and right. She did all the work for him behind the scenes, and he just put it on colored pieces of paper and, mm. and said, so "Here's here's the the color system that my my wife Mel developed." Wow. So okay, well it's been it's been around for a long time. Why why is it good? Why does it work? Boy, um, other than the physiology foundations of it, I think because it's relatively easy to understand. Um, I didn't say it's easy to implement, and I didn't say it's easy to execute, but it's it's relatively easy to understand. You swim at. Uh, at this level and in this heart rate range and, and the, the kids don't need to worry about the, the lactic acid that is or is not being produced or cleared. They, they know how fast they're supposed to go and what, what their heart rate needs to be. And if you do a good job in, in distributing the work over the spectrum, um, there's the color system in sort of in a nutshell. And there's a in, in John's execution of it and, and mine at times and we can delve into that or not. There's a very specific and easy. This is how fast you're supposed to go. Right. This is what you are supposed to execute on these 2100s, and I'm going to hold you accountable for going 54.2 on the on the first 10, and for going 52.8 on the, on the next 10, and for the athletes that relate to that and like the challenge and, and understand or respect the, the value that it brings, it's kind of pretty easy to execute. I shouldn't say it's easy, not easy to execute because it's hard. They ask you to swim fast, but you know, it's easy to sort of understand that this is the expectation as opposed to, oh, yeah, we'll do the first one that are pretty good and then and the next five that are a little better than that and then on, on the last date, you know, try and hold a good time. That, that's... You're not very accountable when when it's that open. You're a distance coach who's been in this game for a long time at this level and competing against other great coaches, uh, distance coaches. But not everybody's doing the same system. So, what are the what are the opposing systems out there? Do you know? Like, uh, let, let's say um, uh, Grant Hackett's coach. Cottrell, Dennis. Yeah. Is he doing something different? Not really. It's, it's all about the same thing, right? So much of it is the, is the same thing. And, and it's, it's, the, it's the art side of it that, that separates, you know, the ones that, along with the athletes that they get. But, right. um, you know, the, the 3100 set that, that Dennis did with, with Grant for years and was sort of famous for, um, that's being repeated over all, over, all over the world by anybody swimming over 200 meters. Right, right. And I agree. And, and it's been around since I was a, a kid too. And, and that kind of leads me to part of what I tried to do as a sprint coach is figure out, okay, what, what are the things that are working and, and where is the art, where, is the, where, where can I be creative in this? So in terms of... You know, John created this in the 80s, and it's still around today. People are still doing the same thing. But we, we obviously can't just keep repeating 
the same thing over and over again. So where, where does the art come into it? Where, where do you find creativity amongst doing the same thing over and over again? Um, is there something wrong with doing the same thing over and over again? And I'm asking myself as much as I'm asking you. Well, what I think to myself is like, we can't possibly just be happy with some, something that we were doing 20, 25 years ago. You know, like to me, there has to be some growth and development if we want to get to, because the way I look at it, look, Katie's swimming, what, 356 in the 400 now? I mean, that's ridiculous to think a woman is swimming that fast, where that, men were swimming that fast 30 years ago kind of thing, you know? And now we have a woman who's just crushing it. So, like, but I'm sure she wants to get faster, you know? Like, everybody gets to a certain point and they want to get faster. So you can't just keep doing the same things you were doing. Um, let's take 3100s, because I, I think that everybody can relate to that set. And there's 3100s going up and up and down the pool 30 times on, on the interval. Right. Um, maybe hold best average. And then there's 3100s going up and down the pool holding best average and holding a stroke count. And then there's 3100s going up and down the pool with best average, stroke count, and a, and a tempo. And then there's one with a breathing pattern. And, and I think we have gotten a little better at and a kick count and a kick count or, or whatever it is and better at incorporating those things and being aware of them on a, on a routine basis on a specialized basis and and katie katie's 400 in uh rio she took except for the dive she took 41 strokes per lap for every lap except for one of them where she only took 40. that's because we practiced that we practiced it at a certain tempo. And while I wasn't coaching an athlete like Katie 30 years ago, but I bet you when they were doing 3100s 30 years ago, they weren't aware. They weren't necessarily stroke count and tempo and breathing and how many kicks off of each wall and, and so on and so forth. Right. And, and I think that's where swimming is. It seems to me like we've figured out that generally you have to swim nine times a week. Um, I, I, Eight to ten, let's say. That's pretty much where everybody's at. There's not many people who are swimming five times a week at, at Katie's level. I don't think there's anybody. But, you know, so we figured out that you pretty much got to swim nine to ten times a week. you got to be in the gym three to four times a week. you got to be doing some other type of dry land a couple of times a week. You know, so, like, it's almost like swimming has this formula that everybody sticks to if you want to be successful at, at the highest level. And, and and like you said, with your 10-year-olds, with your it's four times a week and then – with your 12-year-olds, probably five times a week. So as you get older, you've got formulas all the way along the board kind of thing. But generally, the, the formula for swimming is, is that. And so what I think to myself is, okay, we've been doing this now for 30, 40 years. Like, is there a better way to do it? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. but Yeah, I will answer that for you. Yes, there's a better way to do it. I don't know what it is either. But I'd be pretty sure that there's a better way to do it. One of the Australian coaches, and I forget, might have been Forbes Kyle, Carlisle, I'm not sure, you might know, years and years and years ago, obviously, was stood up in front of a room and said, all right, um, I'm going to tell you everything I know about swimming. The only thing is that you have to understand is that half of it is wrong, and I don't know which half. <laughs> so, and I believe that completely, that, that half of what I'm doing is wrong. 
and I don't know which half. So the next challenge in my next 30 years of coaching is to figure out which half is wrong than what I'm doing now. Well, did I summarize some of the things that you believe in? Like, are you, are you swimming nine, ten times a week? Is that... uh, we are not swimming nine to ten times a week. Um, like, I mean, I mean, you're even you're even, even my elite high schoolers are not swimming nine to ten times a week. Um, with that and a, a full school day right. and, and being human beings and prioritizing sleep, uh, we've, we've, I've cut that back. Okay. Um, my upper ones, and you'd have to ask Jeremy Lynn, I think his are, be, are doing seven, okay. maybe an eight, maybe. We'll do a little bit more in the summer. Obviously, we're learning a whole lot more about sleep. Right. I think that's an area that we've got to continue to learn. Right. Um, we swim in the morning. We swim in the afternoon. They go to school all day, and we're asking them to get up at 4.30 in the morning. And I, I question that all the time. And I, I don't have the uh, technical tools or the physiological tools to measure them every day to see if they are, you know, recovering completely. But I've got the eyes and the stopwatch and the ears to, to figure it out, and I can dial them up or dial them back a little bit. It's interesting you say that because I believe recovery has been such a huge leap forward for our sport. You know, it, it, it used to be a time where the, the word recovery was a dirty word. No one used it. And certainly you were, you were looked down upon if you asked for it. Um, whereas now there's many forms of it. You know, there's, there's sleep, which you said is, is prime. And then there's also the, the um, out-of-pool type recovery. Got your massage, you've got your physio, you've got your your athletic trainers, you know, you've got all sorts of you know people doing yoga and, and um, Pilates, all sorts of different ways to recover, um, which I think has been huge for our sport. In, in and then so it's interesting to hear that even on the middle distance distance side of things, recovery is is now a word that is used. Re recovery is huge. Um... I've spent some time looking a little bit at some of the college programs this past year for some unknown reason, and I've been surprised that a number of them run Wednesdays off now. Mm. Um, and, and more than just, just one I have found, they, they take Wednesdays off entirely, and Sunday still. Right. I think NC State was, was doing that. Uh, Braden, Braden certainly does that, and I think because now he's announced that to the world and he's, ha he's having success, more people start yeah, There's some other notice. people out there that are doing it too. Right. And um, I think you've got to experiment with that. You've got to, you've got to figure it out now. You, know, you can't take Monday, Wednesday, and Friday off. But I was surprised to see the number of programs that are taking Wednesdays off, um, if not entirely, at least out of the pool. What about in terms of um, time in the pool? It was always like you had to get two hours in. Is that still a must? No. Um, I probably run more practices under um, – two hours might be on the, on the schedule. You know, we're listed for two hours. But as far as water time or training time, there are probably more practices under an hour and 40 minutes than there are over two hours. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's just trying to get done what we need to get done. And, and, and lots of things come, come into that, of course. Swimming has always been hung up on yardage as, as kind of the, the go-to. Is there a, a yardage that you're trying to hit per day, per week, per month? Are you still there? Uh, no. I'm going to say no, but. Um, 
I know when we're not doing enough. Right. I, it's easy to see when they're doing too much because some of them don't respond to it, and, and they all respond differently. They're all, they're all very different. And, and one's response to anything more than 50,000 a week may be very different than another's response to more than 50,000 a week. And, and, and we as coaches have to, have to dial that in. Um, well, let's go on to Katie. A lot of people do want to hear about Katie, and I'm one of them. I'm just, I'm, I don't know much about her. I've seen her swim. I've seen what she has done um, internationally for, for many years. I, I don't know much else about her, you know. But um, when did you take over from Yuri in terms of training her? Immediately after the 2012 London Games, not immediately, within a few weeks, Yuri took the job out at Cal, and I, I came down to NCAP and started working with Katie. And my, my, I, I knew her a little bit from the 2012 games in preparation because my son was on that same team with her, and John was the, the coach for that group. So I, I got to know Katie a little bit there, but really didn't know much about her. And first few weeks I was with, with the program, I had the kids fill out little information cards. You know, I, I didn't know one kid from I knew Katie's face, and that was it. Fill out little information cards, you know, name, school, pet, animal, whatever else. And, and on the back, write, write a couple of swimming goals that you have for yourself. And I would have the meetings with the kids, and I turned the goal over. And so often they said, you know, get better at breaststroke. Or they said, you know, you know something that was not, in my eyes, very goal-specific oriented. And I sat down with Katie, and she had just gone eight fourteen that summer. She's gonna be mad at me if I got that wrong, but and, and missed missed the world record. Anyway, I, I I turned the card over, and it said uh, break the world record in the eight hundred free next summer and go under eight ten by Rio. Mm. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this girl thinks differently than most of us. And that was sort of my first heads up of, I better run. Fast enough that I can stay a day ahead of her. Yeah. And uh, that was my challenge for the next four years. Before that then, so she, she wins in London. So she's an Olympic gold medalist. What age was that? That was, was 15. 15. Okay, so you're taking over a young Olympic gold medalist. I mean, she, you don't know her, but she doesn't know you. How does she feel about you taking over? Um. I think you, I might say you have to ask her. You know, the, the, was there an initial meeting of some sort, though? Um, not really. Really? Um, I, I think there was some apprehension in her camp between her and her parents, rightfully so. Who, who's, this, who's this new coach coming down here? You came from Delaware. I came from Delaware, but um, I had the, the John Urbanchek card. And John got on the phone, at least with her parents, if not with her, and said, hey, you know, he's a good guy. He'll treat you well. You know, you're, you're in good hands. And since everybody loves John, first of all, but since he had had such success with her for London, I think that, you know, calmed a lot of fears. Or at least, if it didn't calm the fears, at least was, okay, we'll give him a chance. Had you coached an Olympic champion before then? I had not coached an Olympic champion before then or since then. It must have been uh, very scary then. You know, a lot of people have said that, and I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't scary at all, and I. I hope I wasn't arrogant. Maybe I was, but 
you know, I was much more concerned with integrating the rest of the program and figuring out how the tenant unders worked and, right. and getting my family moved right. and uh, all that stuff. I remember somebody saying to me initially, you know, oh, are you going to take that hitch out of her stroke? Wow. And I thought to myself, the last thing I'm going to do is mess with her stroke. It seems to work okay. Now, as the four years went on, we, we made some tweaks, but I sure as heck wasn't going to come down here and take an Olympic gold medal, as you said, and say, you know what, you've got this hitch in your stroke. Hey, we're going to take that out. And I keep remembering that, you know, everyone used to say if somebody had taught Janet Evans how to swim right, she might have been fast. Well, you know, there, there's a lot to be learned there. Let's, let's me learn from her. I think actually over the four years we took advantage of that hitch in her stroke, hitch, gallop, whatever you want to call it, and really benefited from it, highlighted it, got some real good things from it as opposed to take it out to have her swim right. Now everybody's trying to swim that way. So. Yeah, exactly. Now everyone's going to try and swim, uh, you know, the 200 breaststroke like uh, – Tatiana now. You right. Know, where, where they do a there's, a, there's a lot of that in this sport. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone wants sure. to breathe every stroke in a hundred fly because Michael breathes yeah. every stroke in a hundred fly. Sure, yeah. Well, guess what? That doesn't work for most of us. Absolutely. Did you have conversations with Yuri at all? I had very few conversations with Yuri. And, and he, was, um, he was getting his feet on the ground out of Cal. I was getting my feet on the ground here. And... Um, I, I got through Katie, probably more than through Yuri, the, the work that they had done in the past. Okay. Um, so that was, hit the ground, let's go. All right, so, so what did you learn early then about her, other than when she filled out her goal sheet? Um, she's really quiet. She, one of the things that Yuri did say, and actually had said it to John, not, not to me, I mean, it shared with me too. As long as she's smiling, everything's okay. So, you know, make sure she smiles. And then you just learn that along with the, the goals, and we can talk about that a little bit if you want, the day-to-day the -day work ethic is just unmatched. It, it's, it's just unmatched. I would imagine you would have to have an immense amount of talent to, to do what she's done and, and just an unmatched work ethic and, and the combination of the two. You know, when you think of the greatest athletes in history, the Phelpses, the, in any sport, you know, you go across the board in America and, and we know who they are, but she's one of them. So I would imagine you've never seen a talent like her and, you, and, and a work ethic is, is up there with the greatest you've seen as well. So when you, when you marry the two, you can understand why she's so successful. Um, I probably disagree with you on one point, and, and I've said this publicly before, so I, I, it's not news, and I don't think she'll be offended. I don't consider her extremely talented. Um, she, she's not one of those athletes who uh, picks up on things immediately or naturally. Uh, she's not one of those athletes who has a, a vertical jump like you've never seen before or has a... She's certainly gotten a lot stronger. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've run the, the uh, scorecard for her other times and said her, her kicking is average. At the time, her pulling was average. Her box jump was average. So from an athletic standpoint, um, I suppose she's above average, yes. I don't want to under but she's got a capacity. She must have a capacity for work. She's got a capacity for work, but is that talent? I don't like the word talent, so maybe that's what I'm having trouble with here. I mean, ta talent is where, you know, 
hard work took place behind closed doors in a lot of areas where you all of a sudden look natural. I mean, the, the, I the so. natural athletes, they, they have done, the ones who look natural, you know, they have done incredible work behind the scenes to, to get to that, that level. For sure, for sure. But, but, but she's special. She, she's the greatest female swimmer of all time. It, so, it, so there's obviously talent, which is hard to pinpoint in terms of you know, vertical jumps and yeah. things like that. But you know, your son worked hard. And, and had a capacity for work, but never ended up being Katie Ledecky. And, and, and Katie Ledecky is Katie Ledecky, you know what I mean? So it's like there's certainly some, some crazy talent there of some sort. There is, but you know, the, I, I remember trying to teach her a, a crossover turn for an IM because sometimes I thought training freestyle was stale. I thought we should work a little bit on an IM. Um, she was the American record holder in her foreign IM for a few weeks at one point. But introduced her to her crossover. She had no idea how to do a crossover turn. She twisted and elbows and ankles and feet went the wrong way and a different way. And she came up, you know, pointing backwards type of thing. And, you know, you, you would have thought I was teaching a nine-year-old how to do a crossover IM, crossover turn. But I noticed over the next few weeks, she took the time to spend 10 or 15 minutes after practice working on it on her own. I didn't ask her to. I was probably afraid she was going to hurt herself. Mm. And she would work on her own. And then I noticed in warm-ups, when everybody else is, you know, coming in and she's doing a crossover turn. Half of them are illegal. Most of them are bad. But she's doing them. And then, you know, nine months later, 18 months later, whatever, she's got a really good crossover. That's not talent. No. And I'm not sure that that's work ethic in the classical sense. So how much of that can you teach and how much of that is just Katie? Um, if I could teach it, I, I, you know, I'd have a million of these around. Yeah. So I guess I can't teach it. Yeah. I think you can nurture it. How's that? Allow her to do that. Allow, allow her the 10 minutes to go work, work on it on her own and, and not, not judge it, not criticize it, not discourage her from doing it. Allow her to do half of them illegal and practice for a few weeks while she's trying to figure it out. What about in terms of what you know about the way she was raised? Uh, is there anything there that we can take away from who Katie is these days? She's got a great family. I mean, I think everybody knows that. Um, she has a high-achieving family. Um, I think that comes out in, in her. You know, the, the, I don't know if expectations is the right word, but the level of achievement was going to be high in, in whatever she did and whatever she does for the rest of her life. And her brother's achievement level is high, and, and her uncle's achievement level is high, and you know, right on, right on down the line. And the family is very supportive of each other, um, very tightly knit. I, I don't think it's. Uh, she's been public about it before that the, the period uh, this past year during COVID, when she was out at Stanford away from her family, was very hard on her. And I, so I think that, that that all, you know, clearly works for her benefit. Again, I'm just going to keep peppering you with questions because I'm interested. But um, she went through a period of time, I guess, internationally with you where she, where she didn't lose or did she lose a race? Uh, through the, the 16 quad, she did not lose an international race. Right. And so what's that like? How do you, how do you coach someone that's always winning? Uh, probably we don't spend a lot of time talking about winning. 
the, the follow-up to that first goal meeting I had with her, when she said, I want to break the world record and I want to go under 810 by, by Rio, was the next summer we went to Barcelona for world championships. Right. She broke the world record in the 800. Um, I'm sorry, Kate, I don't remember what the time was. Um, but it, you know, it, it, was, it was approaching that 810, and it was like, that goal's not high enough. We need to set the bar higher. You said that to her? Either directly or indirectly. And we sat down and said, all right, what do we want the big, scary goal to be for, for Rio? Because you know, at this point, we were, you know, Rio was clearly going to be the focus. And I don't know whether she said it or I said it. It doesn't matter. She says, I, you know, uh, we came up with that she wanted to go 356 and 805. Didn't take a lot of discussion. But at the time, um, you know, she hadn't been under 810. At the time, she had barely squeaked under four minutes. I'm not even positive she had. Uh, the world record was 358 high. And we said, you know, we want to go 356 and 805. Well, that's kind of crazy. And we just sort of tucked that away. Uh, she wrote it down on her pull buoy in sort of a, a cryptic fashion, mm. so no one else would know what it was. Right. And um, traveled the world with that, and, and we just sort of set sail on that for the, the, new, the new goals for Rio. And sure enough, she went 356. I still think she could have been 355, but that's just a, a, you know, a jerk coach saying something like that in 804. Now, during this time, you did say she developed a training relationship with your son that you felt is just unmatched. I mean, the, the two of them together were really good. My, my son graduated from Georgia in 14. He had been an Olympian in 12. He knew he wanted to, to shoot for the 16 team. He was really more focused on the open water, where I thought he was a better swimmer, and he did too. But he came and trained, trained with me and, and Katie and, and the rest of the club. And watching them work together with their shared work ethic, capacity for work, um, sense of humor, intellect, whatever it, whatever it is, uh, you know, they would, they would pick on me and I had to take it because it was two against one. But watching them work together for a couple of years was, was really something special. And, and, and you know, she, she benefited tremendously. I hope he did too. I know I did from, from that little two-year period of training together. Now you said um, for, in terms of the color chart and the training of, of both these athletes, you said you kind of spend a lot of time in the aerobic development and then what's the red zone? Threshold. The threshold zone. Why, why those two in particular? Great question. Um, John's wife, John Urbanchek's wife was the physiologist, so she understands the physiology behind it. John was the, the coach behind it, and he understood the um, integrating it, the execution of it. And as I watched them work together and, and work in the zones, those seemed to be um, the most challenging and most beneficial to them. John, John made, the, made the comment a couple times. When John developed the system, it was based on college-age males. He worked at the University of Michigan, obviously. College-age males were his thing. And he said frequently that, that Katie was the only one who could go blue from a female side. She was the only one who had 
whatever the correct physiology terminology is, to go repeat blue effort, blue times on a regular basis. And um, I probably took that as a, as a good thing. And so we expanded a little bit and incorporate some of that. But the pink and the red, as you work your way up the scale, is where we, we spent most of the time. And, and she just kept getting better. And maybe it was the, the if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it. But she kept getting better. She kept getting faster. We kept doing it. And it seemed to work out OK. So within that zone, particularly the, the, the red to blue kind of zone, Give me some examples of, of things. I mean, are you doing repeat 200s? Are you doing repeat 400s? Are you doing straight 800s? How are you breaking it up? Uh, we probably, uh, Katie and Andrew would remember. 50s? Katie and Andrew would remember specifically, but I remember one time one of them uh, complained uh, diplomatically or something that uh, by Thursday of one week, they had done 86 100s of red. So, you know, we had done whatever we'd done on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they were, we did a lot of 100s red and a lot of 75s blue and a lot of 150s of pink. And uh, obviously, we, I had to vary that to, to keep it fresh a little bit. You know, we would go some 150s red sometimes and even some maybe 150s blue. Um, but we did a whole lot of, whole lot of 100s. Short course or long course, preferably long course, red 100s, long course. Why do you like the 100 zone for, for coaching someone that swims a, a, an incredible 400, 800, 1500? Why the 100 in particular? Um, probably because I felt that that challenged her to hit race pace for her 400 and 800 meters. So, so red and blue is, is race pace then? Yeah, you could use it that way, okay. yeah. Okay. So what, what's her race pace? What, what's she holding on, on, a, on a set of hundreds? Uh, depending on how I, I position them, and then that's the, the gimmick of coaching, you know, I, I could get her, not get her. Uh, on a good day, I could set it up so she could repeat maybe 57 highs. Which is which is closer to her two hundred back half or so, obviously. Oh, uh, are we talking short course? Long course, long course. Long, she's holding fifty seven. Long course. But if I'd have to set it up to do that, or we could, or we could repeat minute points, which obviously is eight hundred work. Which is comfortable, more comfortable. Not if you put them on one fifteen. It's not. Well, yeah. Try to do thirty of them. <laughs> no joke. Yeah, that, that's one fifteen dynamics. Yeah. Okay, I so mean, yeah. that, that that's those. You know, you've only got so many levers to play with when you're following the black line. Right. Let's be honest. You can, you can play with interval. Right. You can play with distance. You can play with, um, you know, time you're asking them to hold. So the 50s long course, getting her to hold them under a stress environment, meaning either number of them or interval, you know, she could go 200 pace. And then the hundreds were more likely to be 400 is pace, and here again, I'm stealing from John. He said, have, have them go 150s for the 1500. And John only coached guys, so he didn't care about the 800 because it wasn't an event. And I, and I say that with, with all love for everybody, yeah, yeah. but there's some truth well, to that. It's just a new event now, so yeah. yeah. But yeah um, okay, interesting. Uh, I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of more questions based around that as we go here. So 
Um, is, is she able to hang with your son, or is he? Is he? How far ahead is he? He's not. He's not. He's not. He's beating her up, or she's beating him uh, up. No, he. You know, the the best story on that is uh, we went to a short course meet once early in the season, short course yards meet, and I, I you know, you got to find challenges for your athletes, right. and, and sometimes they're hard to find for, for 356 girls, 400 swimmers. Yeah. So I talked to meet host and the swimming combined, male, female, combined gender, and they hopped in and they swam five, 500 together, mm. and... Um, I think he went he went 424 and she went 425 in about four and a half feet of water. Maybe maybe she went 426 in about four and a half feet of water in some rinky pool um, at you know nine o'clock in the morning. And they swam it side by side and, and he got out with sort of this stupid grin on his face and says, ah, I had it the whole time. <laughs> and then he paused and said, I think. <laughs> and 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 she literally Again, I think she was 426 and just off her American record to this day. I don't know whether it would have counted or not. But, um, and then later in the season, in a better environment and everything, she dove in and went a little bit slower and was like, I don't understand. I went, I went 425 in October in this, in this crappy meet. And in this meet we had, you know, and I was all ready to go and it was trials and finals. And I said, yeah, you were chasing him the last, you know, the, the first time you did it. And, and that... You know that that sort of captures their their whole, you know, their whole training for for the, dynamic. for the dynamics. You know, the whole time you'd be like, yeah, I had her the whole time, and you know, it was it was close. And even later in fifteen or at the very end of fifteen, we went to another short course yards meet, and um, I remember this one pretty well. Probably the best swim I've ever seen her have. Maybe long course. It was short course yards meet. We went up to University of Maryland. At the time, the American record was Katie Hoffs at 9-11. And Katie Ledecky had been 9-11 a couple other times, and it just missed it. And I could tell as we were preparing for the meet that she had sort of something in, in mind, that she wanted to get this record you know, off, off the books. And mm. she started cranking out for, the, for her, her thousand short course yards. And, and Andrew, my son, was swimming in the next heat. And about remember, the American record is 9-11 now. And at about the 800, he looks at me, and he goes, She's gonna freaking break nine minutes, and she did. Broke the American record by like twelve seconds. But you know, and that's that's the insight into, into her and them and their respect for each other that is um, that's that's special. Could you tell when she was on at a meet? Like, could was was there anything she said in particular? Anything she did in particular? Did she give you a little grin? Did she, I mean, what was that like? Um. You know, she was on most times. So yeah, I know. She's not off a lot. No, uh, I, I do remember going to one meet, and, and as we, we worked together and, and refined some things, uh, we were very aware and specific with her, her stroke rate, her tempo. Okay. And, and we'd go, always go a couple 50s at the end of warm-up at, at tempo or whatever we, we were going to be swimming. We, I never hopped in once. Whatever she was going to be swimming that day. Right. And... Um, we did these 50s, and to, to get her tempo, I, I would always time five cycles and get the time for five cycles, and I knew what it was supposed to be. And so she goes 150, and the time was, was much slower than it was supposed to be. And I said, Katie, you've got to increase your tempo. You're not where it needs to be. She goes, another one. I said, you're, you're still not there. You know, we've got to get the tempo to race tempo so we're ready to go. And she goes, one more, and I'm all, 
what is wrong? I didn't say this to her. What is wrong? Why aren't you able to hit that? And she goes, that's as fast a tempo as I've ever done. And for some reason, I was timing six cycles. Stupid me. I don't know why that day I was timing six cycles, but I was. You so couldn't of course, see it? I, you know, I don't know. I was counting to six instead of five. And, of course, the, the time for, for six cycles more. So she knew where she needed to be, and I was the idiot that kept right. messing it up. All right, right. What about in terms of um, one more question on the training itself? Did you – how did you get the best out of her? I don't know why I keep doing that, by the way. How did you get the best out of her – um, did you tell her what was coming? Did she know what was coming? Or did she just turn up on the deck and say, hit me with it, coach? Oh, I could tell you so many different stories. I'll try and limit it to a couple. I, I teased the broad group one day that we were going to go a 5,000 for time either the next day or two days later. I don't, I don't remember. And uh, We did that very infrequently. But um, I teased them we were going to go 5,000 for time, and, and they came in for that day, and we, we did the warm-up and stuff. And, I said, okay, well, instead of doing a 5,000, we're going to go a 3,000 gang. And I, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was going to be a hero. And she was like pissed off. She's like, why aren't we doing 5,000? I was like, well, I thought three might be. She was annoyed. She wanted, she wanted, yeah. she wanted to go 5,000. Yeah. So I, I learned from then not to, you know, do that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, some days I would, I would give her a little heads up what was coming. Um, most days, you know, we, we did – and I still do, uh, same type of work every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday. So she generally knew what, what type of work was coming on a, on a given day. And the, the biggest problem I had with her, not the biggest problem, but she worked so hard every day, and some days she wouldn't, it just wouldn't be there. And learning her and, and learning everything, I struggled with that at first. I'm like, Crap, she's she's lousy today. Do we do we adjust the set? Do we do I yell at her? Maybe I'll yell at her. That'll make well that wasn't gonna make her go any faster. Do I, you know, what do I do? And it evolved over three or four years that Katie, why don't you go home today? Just <coughs> excuse me. Just just you know, take the rest of the day off, go home. I'm sure it'll be better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And and the first couple of times we tried that, I think she was mad at me. I'm not leaving. I'm not, I'm not a quitter. I'm not getting out. She didn't say that, but that's what her eyes said. But her maturity and our relationship came along, and it was sort of like, yeah, you're, you're right. Today's not a, not a day to, to push it. I'll, I'll be better tomorrow. And I, I tell that story because we got to the training camp for Rio, and we were down in, in San Antonio, and uh, she was crappy one day. She, was, she couldn't hit 800 pace, I remember specifically. We tried a couple times, and I was timing it right this time, and she wasn't going to hit 800 pace. And I very calmly said, you know, I don't, I don't think today's a good day. You know, why don't, why don't you just go home? We'll, we'll come back tomorrow and try again. Now, meanwhile, inside of me, I'm going, it's 10 days before the Olympic Games, and she can't even go 800 pace. I'm dying. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, over the three or four years, we had developed a relationship where that was a perfectly okay resolution to a day where it just wasn't good and right. she went back to the hotel and if I remember right she came in that afternoon and just swam lightly and the next day she was ready to go again yeah I mean I've had similar experiences as you're talking there I can think of, of times where you just have to use your discretion and, and hopefully the relationship between the coach and athlete is at a point where you trust each other and you, and you know You've been through it, you know. Yeah, but, but three or four years sooner, earlier, that yeah. that would not have, right. that wouldn't have worked. 
Right. She was certainly at a point then where it was almost like there was separation between her and the rest of the world, you know, in, in female swimming. And, and she proved that. After she left you, how was your relationship once she moved to Stanford? Did you guys stay in contact? You know, it, it, it obviously changed from a day-to-day -day, you know, work relationship to more of a, a, a friendship, which obviously the friendship develops over the, the four or five years, um, and a consulting thing almost. Um, you know, she's something on her mind. She might pick up the phone and call me, send me a text, and I might, might do the same with her. Uh, before she went, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, before she went down to, to Florida recently to train down there with, the, with Anthony's program, she was home for, for five or six weeks. Yeah. And, well, it was good to see her. Yeah, I heard about that. Some people locally told me, um, David Arlock's son swims here, and I came in one morning at 4.30, and he said, Katie Ledecky just walked in with, with my son, and it's like, it was, for them, it was incredible, you know, so that, that is special um, to have her back in that sense. So it's, it's good that the relationship, the friendship grew in that time. Um, some things shifted within the last few years where she went from just being unbeatable to having competition uh, right up on her at the World Championships and, and being beaten there. And then, and then just recently at the Olympics being beaten again. How have you noticed, how has she dealt with that from going from being so dominant to now having to deal with some adversity and, and even losing some races? What, where's the growth there for her? You know, she loves competition. And, and that is true, whether it's swimming or checkers or, you know, whatever else. Um, and I think those of us that know her who... I was sitting at home during Tokyo, unfortunately, being in Tokyo. But I think those of us who have spent time with her and know her saw the genuine appreciation for the competition in her 400 free with um, Ariana Titmus. And, and, and you just saw afterwards, um, she just appreciated the competition. And did she want to, of course she wanted to win. You know, everybody, everybody wants to win, but. Um, I think she respected and appreciated the competition. And if you know Katie well enough, Katie would have easily said, okay, let's hop back up on the blocks. We're going to go best two out of three. Um, and, mm. and that would have been, would have been okay with her. That's, That's interesting because I don't know Katie. So just to hear that is, is interesting because it did seem like she reacted that way at the Olympics. So you, to me, I was like, all right, hold your breath. How's she going to act here? And she comes back and, and is dominant in other events and, and, and it didn't seem like she took a, a, a backward step, you know. It was like, okay, lost that round, you know, let's go again. Did, so that didn't surprise you then? No, I said, and she would have gone best two out of three or, you know, five minutes later if, if that was you know, given that opportunity. And um, what a great person. I said this before, she's a better person than she is a swimmer. She can swim a little bit, but she's a better person than she is a swimmer. So how does, how, why then? Like, how does somebody so dominant for so many years, like I would think anyone under those circumstances would have a real hard time with someone coming up and beating her at, at the Olympics on that stage and not handling it as well as she did. Like, why, how did she handle it like that? She's a great person. And um, don't get me wrong, and I don't... I, 
I don't want to speak for her too yeah. much, but yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, she was burning a little inside, and, sure. and, and like I said, she would love to go again. Yeah. Um, but she appreciated the competition at a, at a level that just. I talked to Ariane on on the podcast, and and I've talked to Dean on the podcast as well, uh, her coach, and. It seemed like there was a, a point in their preparation where they were gunning for her. You know, they 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 wanted to get her. You know, and did Katie at any point um, sense that, that that people were coming coming after to, to beat her? I think she knew that. I mean, I, I think even when she was dominant in the leading up to Rio, that she and I and everybody else were. You know, there's there's some 11, 12 year old girl out there that looking at you and saying either I'm gunning for her, which is not yeah, necessarily, yeah. or the, I can do that. I can go as fast as that. Right. That's, that's, that's my goal there. Um, I remember one practice with Katie when we were doing some speed work. See, distance people do the speed work. And we were doing some 50s, and she was very average. And... Um, all of a sudden, on the last three or four, she got really good. And through the whole thing, I was coaching her like coaches do, trying to encourage her or fix this or that or the other. And all of a sudden, she got really good on the last three or four, and I thought, I, know, I must have done something really good there. I probably said just the right thing. And I asked her later, I said, why were those last, last four so good or something like that? And she said, well, I pretended like Kate Campbell was on one side and Bronnie Campbell was on the other. And that was the game that she had played that day to raise her game to, to the next level. And I'm sure other people have, have done the same thing and pretended that it was, you know, Katie next to them. For sure, absolutely. Uh, and you, you do have to create those monsters in your brain, yeah. you know, to have them, have them there. Do you think um, her losing uh, in Tokyo is part of the reason why she's made this shift to Florida? No. Um, again, I don't want I don't want to speak for her. We all know that the sport can be, for lack of a better word, tedious, and there's only so many black lines. And I think she was aware that a she wanted to be closer to her family, as we talked about earlier, and and b it was just time for a little bit of a change and sort of. Tying it all together, she was looking for an environment where she could compete with people every day. Right. And uh, I think she found that with the, the, some of the medalists from, from, or from Tokyo that are training down in Florida, some of the male medalists. And um, she'll like getting in there and competing with them. Is there a part of you that wanted her to come back here and, and stay here? Uh, yes. Uh, I'll say yes first. A huge part. She, she was home for five or six weeks, and she was training off her own. Wasn't, she made all of us better. She made me better. She made the other kids in the water better. She was going to make, make the staff better. There's no doubt about that. However, this was not the right place for her to be. Um, with primarily the age and the this speed. Is, this and the is speed. separation. <clears throat> from an age and maturity standpoint and from a, a speed standpoint, um, this was not the right place for her to be. So um, I'm thrilled for her. I'm happy for her. I, I hope she's in an environment where she can compete on a daily basis. And she is welcome to come home for a day, a week, a month, 
at any point and, and we'll put her to good use. Were you part of the discussion to help her find the right spot for her? We discussed a lot of a lot of things on that, yeah, and and what what she was, and not only what she was looking for um, swimming wise, but just culturally and personal growth and, and opportunities, yeah. So you're you're not surprised then that Tokyo wasn't the end for her. Like for you, for you, you fully expected her to go to Paris. Somebody asked her yeah. to finish in Tokyo whether she was done. And yeah, she, she was, was very respectful, but yeah. she pretty much laughed in their face and was like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm not not even close. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, from your perspective, not from hers, but from yours, can can she get faster? Can she get better? Like, how? I mean, to me it's like she's been at this so long, but can she get faster? You know, I, I think you look at it, A, from a, a physiological standpoint. Again, I'm not the physiologist, and the comparison everybody makes is always that the runners are, are faster in their, in their 30s. She's not going to be anywhere near her 30s. Is that the right comparison? I don't know, and I don't think we know enough. Certainly, we don't have enough data from a swimmer's standpoint of saying, oh, yeah, swimmers swim, swim faster in their 30s, too, because the sport has never been set up either financially or for other reasons where, where people really pursued that. So I, I think there's that side of it. And then there's the competition bar that, that she has a better chance of swimming faster if somebody else is going to swim faster mm -hmm. than she does if she was going to be out there all by herself. If she was going to be out there all by herself, I think the chances were, were less that she would be able to be faster. Um, if she picks up the paper or the website or whatever and sees somebody else has gone really fast, then, yeah, she can go faster. Is there a female comparison to her in another sport that you know of? Like, could, could you say she's like that person? Competitive, like maybe like a Serena Williams? You know, Serena Williams is, is, was the first one that came to my mind. I'm not the tennis person. I don't know yeah. the demands of the sport. I don't know. So I, I can't jump to that. Um, certainly there are female runners. Again, not my sport, but I, I think they're still at a very high level into their late 20s and early 30s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just get the sense that she is a very um, self-driven individual. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't take a lot to push her you know a lot of it is coming internally yeah somebody, somebody asked me and you know whether she would um whether it be a letdown or, or hurt her performance did not have any any fans in tokyo in the stands mm. and while i'm sure she would have loved to have had them uh, she would race in a cardboard box you know in, in the dark if, if and do just as well i mean she doesn't she doesn't need the the external uh, fanfare to, to push yourself and yeah. swim her best. Well, we've talked a lot about her, and I appreciate you, you diving into that. And ask and her. Ask her. Do you, know anyone, do you know her. anyone who could help me get her on the podcast? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let me make the calls. Maybe somebody knows somebody. I'd love to ask her. I'm just, I'm just a fan, first of all. I mean, I sat back and watched her for many years on the pool deck, and you know, I was like, damn, that girl's good. You I know? bet you I can find somebody who knows somebody who can ask her. That would be nice. I would... Greatly appreciate that. Only, only because I'm interested. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to 
expose anything. Yeah, I'm just no. interested. Oh, I, I would listen too, so you would at least have okay, a listener good. of one if you, if you got her on. Excellent. Let's work on that then. Um, well, we've talked about a lot. We went over the club development. Um, where are we in, in club swimming in America right now? Oh, boy, that's a very expensive question. Because COVID, COVID's hurt us, right? COVID has hurt us. Right. Uh, you, you may or may not know I'm um, active with USA Swimming and, and some of their governance level stuff. And uh, what so does that mean? it means that I am the, the chair of the national team steering committee and therefore part of the USA Swimming's board of directors. Okay. So we, we look at the, the sport overall. Our numbers are down. Yeah. Um, we're down about 80,000 athletes. About 60,000 of those are from the 12 and under level. And we've lost some clubs along the way, well, haven't we? Well, with losing 80,000 athletes, you're going to lose some clubs. Yeah. And, and a lot of it was COVID-driven. A lot of people lost pool time. A lot of people had pools closed, not just in the U.S., but internationally. Um, USA Swimming must have lost a lot of money too. Uh, we we lost. We didn't make as much money. We lost money. Yes. So is there is there a, a sense of panic at all? In I I would not say panic. Um, the the COVID hit was a, a significant hit, and I think everybody understands it's not going to be a, a three month fix. We're not going to flip the switch and say okay everybody's going to come back. Uh, more so the it's the it's the youth athletes the. 10 to six year old who missed out on a, on a summer league, who missed out on a, their first series of lessons, who came out of a summer league and were ready to join a year round team and there wasn't one to join. So we might never get them back. They may have picked up soccer or lacrosse or piano lessons or whatever. So, you know, that, that's a challenge that the, the sport, specifically at the club level, is going to face for, for years here. Is there a specific game plan forward yet? Have we figured that out? I, I think there's a lot of ideas and cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. And I said, I, um, I personally agree. You know, it, it's, not, it's not a quick fix. It's going to probably take years. To, we've got to make the sport more family friendly. Uh, we, you know, we're competing with other sports. We're competing with other ath um, athletics um, activities. So how, how do we make the sport more family friendly? You know, during, during COVID, because we were forced to, we, were, we ran a lot of these really short meets, very small number of athletes, 90-minute okay. you know, meet, 60 athletes. You get in, you get out, next group in, because we okay. can only have so many people in the building. And I hope we don't get away from that, because yeah. I think there was some, some value in, in that, some, some good things, too. There were some bad things, but... Um, a lot of good, in and a lot, out. A lot of good, fun. yeah. Right. Can compete with the soccer game, yeah. the basketball game. So I think uh, there's there's a push to, to get a more thinking like that involved in the sport. And then the, the next, I'm going to take my own tangent here, you know, is, is college swimming going to change? And how is that going to change over the next decade? Is the, mm. is the NIL aspect going to change it? Are, are programs going to get cut? Mm. Are you know, the big giant of, of football going to take more and more of the, the athletic department resources. I should be asking definitely, you these definitely questions. Definitely a fear. I've, uh, I've had all those questions and fears myself. Right. So, so uh, and are all the Olympic sports at the collegiate level going to, how are they going to change? Why did you never get into college swimming? I like club swimming. You do? I, 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 like, I like club swimming. I like the, that age athlete, that development stage athlete. Um, 
don't get me wrong, coaching athletes who win gold medals is, is tremendously rewarding and challenging. I have always felt best that the first time an athlete either uh, makes USA Swimming Summer Juniors meet, because I think that's the first real introduction to, to national level competition, or makes their first um, international trip with typically with the, with the junior national group. And, and to, to watch those kids light up and the experience they have and the stories they tell and the, sure. the excitement it generates and, and the smiles on their face when they put their swag on. I've been very fortunate in, in my household. I've, I've got two kids, and both of them had their, their first box of USA Swimming gear arrive. It comes in a box so big, big enough for them to crawl into, and it's got T-shirts and sweats and parkas oh, and yeah. a bag in it. And, and that's like Christmas morning for, yeah. for, for those athletes, and, and I love that. For sure. I, I can, I, and you just talking takes me back to my club days as well. Um, how do you feel then about the college coaches taking all the glory once you've developed these incredible athletes? You know, I, I, it, it might be a little bit of self-preservation or self-defense, um, probably some of both. I always say if, if the, the kid goes off to college and swims really well, then I did a heck of a job of setting them up for, for success, and I take great great pride in that. And then if they go off to college and they fall flat on their face or, or get out of the sport, then, well, I got everything I could out of them. So, you know, that was the, the most that they were going to give or going to get out of the sport. So, I don't know, maybe that's sort of self-preservation by thinking that. Now, your daughter's one of the best juniors in the country, and she is going through, I would imagine, the recruiting process. What part, what role does dad play in this? Uh, several, but not too many, hopefully, conversations in the house have started with, this is your father speaking, and whatever comes out of my mouth. Or five minutes later, the conversation starts with, your coach thinks you might want to think about uh, this. Uh, okay. And so, um, are you talking to college coaches for her? No, okay. absolutely not. Okay. And uh, I actually had I had reason to pick up the phone and call one of them the other day for an entirely different subject, and I said, "I'm really not calling you about my daughter. You know, I'm not making a phone call." And they're like, "No, no, no, you've been fine. Don't worry about it." So no, uh, it's it's uh, her her decision making process, and see where it takes her. How much, uh, as a father, how much uh, of a role does scholarship play in it for you? Um, you know, finding the right fit is, is, is important. Is the most important. Is, is by far the most important. Right. Um, when they offer a scholarship or talk scholarship, I don't push back and say, no, 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 we only want to take half of that. Mm. Uh, you know, but um, the... The fit is is way more important for you know. Fortunately, I, I can I can look at it that way from a financial standpoint. But the finding the fit, the right school, the right college town, the right coaching staff, with the complete awareness that the coaching staff may turn over, right. and that's probably the most valuable thing that I contribute to all the conversations. Is I know you really like that coach, but that may turn over. Yeah. Um, and, and tying that all together and, and the academics and uh, what do you want to major in? Well, the answer is, I don't know. Okay. Well, that probably, you know, takes us in one direction is infinitely more important than the exact swimming fit. Where, where, where do you see her being successful in college in terms of the events that she would swim? 
Um, I can make a long story out of this. Since I have the microphone, I will. Uh, like every you know, 11, 12-year-old in the country, she wanted to be a 50 freestyler. There you go. She made her, she made her first junior national cut in the 50 free. Ha ha, uh, she's a yes. sprinter. I like her more and more. I, I, went, I went out to the meet and somebody said, what are you going to do when you coach your daughter? She's a sprinter. And I thought to myself, there is nothing about her that screams sprinter to me, but I'll play along. Anyway, she makes her first Olympic trials cut in the 100 free. All right, we're going up the food chain a little bit. Uh, she goes to Olympic trials, gets her highest place in the 400 or the 200 free. Got ninth place. We're going up the food chain a little bit. Wow. And then she went this past couple of weeks over to Europe and swam the World Cup meets and had her highest points or FINA points or whatever in the 400 free. Oh, wow. So I, I, I like the direction this is going. Mm -hmm. She pushes back very hard about anything above. She's going to end up swimming in college. The 200 to 500, those are given. Uh -huh. And I have always said that uh, she could swim a heck of a mile if she wanted to. Um, but if the school needs her on the 400 free relay. Did she swim other strokes? Uh, she, had, she swims an IM. As I like to say, she swims an IM with three bad strokes. Um, you know, you get so away she's with, really a, a, a good freestyle. You can get away with a lot of things when you can come home in a minute point in your 400 IM and, and 29 or 200 IM. Yeah, yeah. Those are long course. So um, she'll swim. If they need her on the sprint relay, she'll probably talk them into running the 100 free as her third event. She comes back faster than Michael Andrew in the, in the 200 IM. That's quick. That's really good. Um, that wasn't a jab at him. He's, he's an incredible athlete. Um, well, that's good. So she, she's looking at schools that offer a, a great degree for her and then can get her swimming some really fast freestyle, I'd imagine. Yeah. So, okay. She loves relays, don't they all? It's a good thing. College coaches love to hear that. Is she going to take five trips, or are you the, the three-trip type person? Like, wait, what are you looking at? Uh, at the moment, she is on the three-trip yeah. uh, plan. Yeah. As I as I tell all the all the athletes, narrow. Your, I, I recommend. I don't tell them anything. Narrow yourself down to, to three trips. Go take those three trips. Um, if you don't feel good about any of them, then something was wrong in your criteria. Let's go back and you know sort of restart our priorities, and then we have one or two more to take. Uh, we did do a, a college swing over the summer and stopped in a couple unofficial places. Um, okay. as, as it turns out, my, my son was at home for a couple days in the summer, and he talked her into hopping in the car with him while he drove back to Georgia, and they swung by the University of Georgia, and she said she was going to hate it, she said she didn't, so now she's stuck with them, too. I'll throw that one out there. So uh, Georgia gets a mention, okay. There you go, Georgia gets a mention. <laughs> Jack's a great coach. Jack's in there, great phenom coach. Phenomenal things. Great staff down there. Great stuff down there, but one of those one of those things that you can't guarantee they're going to be no. there for the whole time that she might be there. But, no. um, who knows, but I, I guess that's within. Of course, when, when my son was coming out in 2009 or eight, I told him to look at Texas – very cautiously, because Eddie wasn't going to be there oh, the, whole, yeah. the whole time. Andrew was going to be there. Well, yeah, yeah. Andrew's been out for seven years now, and uh, Eddie's still there. So <laughs> Eddie's been retiring since '95. Yes, so exactly. He's been, he's been and John, he and John were both going to retire. John was going to retire in '96, so uh, he kept going for a bit after that. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate this. Thank it's you. been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Learned a lot, and uh, had some good discussions. So glad we could get on the road and do this together. Nate's uh, back there behind the camera. Thanks, uh, Nate. Uh, 
Uh, so they have All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That's it. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device, such as the TVs in your facility lobby, ready room, or by athletes' family members across the world. A very simple and easy-to-use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. You actually see the live meet timer counting up. The splits come across the screen as the swimmers touch the pads. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. There are so many things you can do with this software. Swim Nerd Live turns any smart TV into a portable digital scoreboard. Hang a TV out in the hallway of the pool or on both sides of the stands. This is perfect when you have swim meets and the kids are in the gym down the hall. They've made it incredibly simple for anyone to watch. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. And here's the cherry on top. Swim Nerd Live also provides advertising space for you to show off your sponsors, promote your upcoming swim camp, or have your alumni just one click away from donating. This software will pay for itself. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.